Welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Joining me this week is Addy Hang. Hello. Hi, how you doing, Addy? I'm good. I just came back from walking my dog, so I'm a bit hot right now. You're lucky you get all the nice warm weather and I'm sitting here watching the rain. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the cold. Yeah, I, I guess living in Israel, it does make you really pine for the cold sometimes. I love cold. The fact that you have to... Because the heat is annoying. Because when you're hot, you can't take off anything. Or if you do, it's considered rude. <laughs> um... Especially when I look, okay, so in Israel, especially where I live, there's a tendency for a lot of guys to run around shirtless. And at this point, I look, because they're there, and I look at their chest and I envy it. Not because they're overly fit and all this bullshit, but because I can't wait to get my chest literally off my chest. Soon. Soon. It's going to be happening soon for you now, though. Yeah, October. Early October. Yeah, awesome. Exciting. Indeed. So, yeah, so I'm like, I I can't wait. But also because when you're cold, you can just put on something uh, like another layer and just get warmer. And then if you're hot again, you just take the layer off. So I'm kind of like, I I love that. Yeah, nothing nothing better than curling up under a blankie with a nice thick jumper on and putting your heating pet. on and staying warm. Yeah, and the furry little animals to keep you warm. It's awesome. And and some hot chocolate or something like that. Yeah, or a nice cup of tea or a hot water bottle. God, I love winter. <laughs> yes. We've established that from the fact that you're jealous of our heat. Yeah. You're a very contradict- uh, contradicting woman. I-, I prefer the term a little bit weird. The two do not con- uh, contradict one another, unlike you. Well, I've got a story for you this week that is a little bit fun, a little bit different. Because um, I decided, you know, it's episode 30, so it's a nice little milestone. And we've been going for 30 episodes and you were there for episode one and you're here for this one so i'm going to do something that's kind of the opposite of your first episode with us which was a psychotic serial killer so it's going to be a bit more fun and uplifting i am very happy with fun and uplifting yeah and this is a story that that i knew some of it anyway but when i started researching I there were a couple of moments where I was just like what the actual fuck this is crazy so 
hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I did researching it. I can't wait to find out. Before we get into our story, I just want to take a moment to talk to you about The Cosplay Journal, a new coffee table magazine by friend of the show Holly Rose, focusing on the diversity and craft of cosplay. The Cosplay Journal is out now, and I've read the first issue. It's a great read, full of informative articles and beautiful photographs. I'm a geek myself, but I'm not a cosplayer, yet I still found a lot in this magazine to give me a deeper look into this part of geek culture. The book has craft-focused articles on sewing, armour building and makeup, as well as some interviews with some incredible cosplayers, some professional, some simply being the perfectionist amateur. They ask, are cosplay guests worth it in their opinion piece article, and have a handy guide for cosplayers on how to survive a con, which is advice worth reading even if you're not a cosplayer. The Cosplay Journal is available now. You can find it on Amazon for just $9.99, so make sure you pick up your copy today so that you don't miss out. Four Ruffs, or the Rough Towers, was the first of originally four naval forts designed by G. Munsell to protect the Thames estuary. The artificial sea fort was constructed in dry dock at Red Lion Wharf in Gravesend in the year preceding and into 1942. The artificial navy installation is similar in some respects to early fixed offshore oil platforms. It consisted of a rectangular 168 by 88 foot or 51 by 27 meter reinforced concrete pontoon base with a support superstructure of two 60 foot tall, 24 foot in diameter hollow reinforced concrete towers, each roughly 3.5 inches thick, with an overall weight estimated to be approximately 4,500 tons. Lightweight, just... Yeah, very lightweight. Yeah. The twin concrete supporting towers were divided into seven floors, four for crew quarters, the remainder provided dining, operational and storage areas, for example for several generators and for fresh water tanks and anti-aircraft munitions. There was a steel framework at one end supporting a landing jetty and a crane which was used to hoist supplies aboard. The wooden landing stage itself became known as a dolphin. The towers were joined above the eventual waterline by a steel platform deck upon which other structures could be added. This became a gun deck on which upper decks and central tower units were constructed. 3.75 inch anti-aircraft guns were positioned at each end of the main deck with a further two 40mm anti-aircraft guns and the central tower radar installation atop a central living area that contained a galley, medical and officers quarters. Now, that's quite a bit of description for something that might not be fully clear. So I've got a picture of Fort Ruffs here for you. I have to say that I love the name most of all, Fort Ruffs. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a chi- a ship with legs. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun way. It's kind of like a battleship crossed with an oil platform. You you know how um, sometimes in in cartoons you have like a uh, big bird suddenly like lifting up their skirt or something like that. It kind of mm. looks like that. So, on the eleventh of February, nineteen forty-two, the fort was towed by three tugs to a location on Rough Sands, approximately ten miles off the Harwich seafront. Its base was then intentionally flooded so that it sank about 37 feet or 11 metres, coming to rest on the sea bar. 
At the time, Rough Sands was situated in international waters, but the superstructure of the vessel above the waterline remained visible from the coastline of England. HM Fort Ruffs was in operation within 30 minutes of being launched. The crew had been aboard during the fitting out in harbour and were well acquainted with the fort's equipment. Approximately 100 men were assigned to the barge before deployment on Rough Sands. Thereafter, the fort was occupied by 150 to 300 Royal Navy personnel, which continued throughout World War II. At the conclusion of hostilities, all original personnel were evacuated from Fort Ruffs. See, now, I don't know about you, but that does not look big enough to have 300 people on it. Uh, uh, maybe 300. Uh, I was going to make a dog joke because it's Fort Ruffs. <laughs> but even so, small dogs. You would need small dogs. Uh, maybe you can, like, have Goan and Daisy on it. Oh, a fort covered in bunnies. I, I'm pretty sure you just, like, described an island in Japan. British government official entities used Ruff's Towers, as it was then known, for a variety of purposes until 1956, when all full-time personnel were finally removed. Ruff's Towers remained identified by name on buoys placed in position by the Ministry of Defence, which are maintained under an agreement with Trinity House. Their purpose is to warn vessels of the obstacle, especially in times of fog, because busy shipping lanes crisscross the area with vessels going to and from the container port of Felixstowe in Suffolk and the port of Harwick in Essex. UK Ordnance Survey now identify the former sea barge fort as rough towers on their charts. In the early 1960s, Roy Bates, a major in the British Army, established a radio station situated offshore on an abandoned ex-naval fort named Knock John. The theory behind this location was an attempt to bypass the broadcasting restrictions of the time, which permitted little more than formal broadcasting by the BBC. Sounds like something an Israeli guy did. Well, this became very big in the 60s. Roy Station, Radio Essex, and others like it were referred to by the media as pirate radio stations. Well, they were pirate radio stations. Plus, a lot of them were in ships off the coast, so... Yeah, that is literally why they were pirate radio stations. (laughs) Despite being against the broadcasting laws, these stations were popular with the British public, supplying content that the BBC did not at the time. In the years that ensued, Roy fought an unsuccessful legal battle with the UK government, which questioned the legality of his occupation of Knock John. It was ruled that Knock John fell under UK jurisdiction and he was forced to leave. Roy weighed his options. This is when he discovered the existence of Rough Towers, which existed further offshore and, crucially, outside of the three-mile limit in which the UK jurisdiction extended. Ooh, loophole. Yeah, you gotta love the loopholes. Roy proceeded to occupy Rough Towers on Christmas Eve 1966, with the intention of revitalising his dormant radio station. Despite having the necessary equipment to restart Radio Essex, he never began broadcasting. After consulting his lawyers, Roy decided to declare the fortress an island nation and the independent state of Sealand. Apparently he is not very good with names. (laughs) But he did find a loophole, so we'll give him that. However, please keep him away from things that can give him ideas. (laughs) Roy claimed 
Jus Gentium, Law of Nations, over a part of the globe that was considered Terra Nullius, or Nobody's Land. So because in international waters, he's able to claim this as its own nation. Pretty sure uh, Wonder Woman did it first. On the 2nd of September 1967, accompanied by his wife Joan on her birthday, his son Michael, aged 14, and daughter Penelope, aged 16, along with several friends and followers, Roy declared the Principality of Sealand. The founding of the new country was marked by the raising of a newly designed flag, and Roy bestowed the new title of Princess Joan on his wife as a birthday present. Mazel tov. It was not long before the British government decided that they could not have what ministers described as a possible Cuba off the east coast of England. Oh, please, it's not like he's making top-notch cigars. <laughs> the military were dispatched to destroy the other remaining forts located in international waters. The Bates family looked on as explosions sent the massive structures hurtling hundreds of feet into the air and twisted and buckled debris floated past Sealand for days. According to reports from the Bates family, helicopters that had carried the explosive buzzed menacingly above, and the Navy tug carrying the demolition crew passed close by and shouted, You're next, with angry waves of arms. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds like disappointed football fans. In 1968, British workmen entered what Bates claimed to be his territorial waters to service a navigational buoy near the platform. According to Michael Bates, the workman shouted threatening obscenities to both him and his sister. As such, he tried to scare the workmen off by firing warning shots at them with a rifle. Guess that sounds like a great way. <laughs> Technically, they entered another nation's border. You can't just go and do that. Yes, you can. <laughs> That's how wars start. <laughs> Yes, and it looks like Britain might be going to war with Sealand. <laughs> As Bates was a British subject at the time, he was summoned to court in England on firearms charges following the incident. What are you, American? You think you can shoot a gun? You wacko. However, as the court ruled that the platform, which Bates was now calling Sealand, was outside British territorial limits, being beyond the then three, mile, three nautical mile limit of the country's waters, the case was not prosecuted. <laughs> the judge concluded that this is a swashbuckling incident perhaps more akin to the time of Sir Francis Drake, but it is my judgment is that the UK courts have no jurisdiction. In 1975, Bates introduced a constitution for Sealand, followed by a national flag, a national anthem, and currency and passports. Okay, that sounds delightful. So here is the Sealand flag. That is, that that looks like the NFL logo. Yeah, it's really dull as well. Was the dude colorblind? I don't know, but if you if you're gonna design your own flag for a micro nation called Sealand, go a bit fancier than that. I you know have like freaking dolphins jumping out of the water or a, a kraken. Yeah, you got you got no rules here, man. Just yeah fucking attack this shit <laughs> what do you have to lose and here's some of his coins which a bit more creative they've got fish on it and a whale on another one and some more which has their 
coat of arms along with an orca on the other side, which is actually this coin looks really cool. I kind of want one. You can get that with uh, remember what is the name of the dude who created his own coinage? Oh, uh, the Emperor Norton dollars. Yes, you can get that with that. <laughs> I I do want a collection of crazy money. So do most people. That's the concept <laughs> of capitalism. And as some of the listeners will have realised, I did say the term national anthem in that sentence as well. Don't worry, you will hear that because that's going to be our closing theme for this week. So stay tuned to the end to hear the Sealand national anthem. And no, Adi will not be singing this national anthem. He'd better if he wants to come on the show again. In August 1978, about 10 years after the independence was declared, Roy was approached by a consortium of German and Dutch diamond merchants who wanted him to fly to Austria to entertain a business proposition. Now, this is the bit that I didn't know about where shit gets really crazy. Ah, yes, because before this, we were insane territory. We were never insane territory, but... We've got international diamond merchants entering the picture. This is going to get weird. So, Roy and his wife travel to Austria, and upon their arrival, they were met by five men who arranged for a meeting later that day. But the meeting time came and went without any word from the men. Concerned, Roy and his wife tried to make contact with their son Michael at Sealand, but since there was no phone or radio on the artificial island, they had to call local fishermen and the Coast Guard. One of them responded, saying, I saw a big helicopter hovering over Sealand. Alexander Achenbach, who was appointed as the Prime Minister of Sealand by Roy, had hired several German and Dutch mercenaries to spearhead an attack on Sealand while Roy and his wife were away. Uh, I'm sorry, did he decide to attack Sealand? Yeah, he, he's organising an armed coup of Sealand. A country so small, it's not <laughs> technically a country. I I warned you, shit's getting crazy. <laughs> well, damn, lady. The mercenaries stormed the platform with speedboats, jet skis, and a helicopter, and took Michael hostage. I would have stormed that with dinghies or something. <laughs> speedboats and weaponry. Yeah, this is very dramatic for what this place is <laughs> it's a platform <laughs> the invaders locked michael in a cell for three days without food or water then put him aboard a dutch vessel which dropped him off in holland with no money and no passport ah oh, damn now how is he gonna get edibles the bates family enlisted armed assistance in order to retake sealand what, they called the army? Uh, no, no, no. They're getting their own little group, which included a helicopter pilot who had done some work on James Bond movies. God damn it. <laughs> they returned to Sealand to storm the fortress and take back their country. Poor country! <laughs> hey, the, this, is, this poor royal family has been thrown out of their own country. They need to get this back. I'm sorry, how can I be so fucking disrespectful to fucking <laughs> former British citizens? My condolences, your majesties. When they arrived at Sealand, 
Michael slid down a rope from the helicopter onto the deck armed with a shotgun and fired a single shot. He missed. He didn't fire at anyone. He just fired the shot. It's a warning. Ah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know you guys do warnings. Well, yeah, we're not Americans. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm still confused. You guys did it so well with the whole colonization and shit. <laughs> this isn't us. This is Sealand. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Sorry. Separate nation. Of course. The intruders quickly surrendered and were taken as prisoners of war. Ackenbach, a German lawyer who had held a Sealand passport, was charged with treason against Sealand and was held unless he paid 75,000 Deutschmarks, more than 35,000 US dollars or 23,000 British pounds. Um, um, what did you say about the Brit... What? They've, they've taken the guy who put the coup in motion, the, the former Prime Minister of Sealand, and uh, now... Of course... And now he has to pay them thousands to be released oh. because he's a prisoner of war. And they want it in Deutschmarks. No freaking German person has Deutschmarks <laughs> anymore. Well, to be fair, this was 78, so... So what, Euro wasn't a thing yet? What? No, 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 Euro happened way later than that. Euro started when the European Union started, so... Uh, no, the Euro came in in 1992. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I, I remember it coming in and then um, a number of countries turning it down to keep their own ones, like like Britain, because we're stubborn and stupid and set to self-destruct. Yeah, well, as long as you don't do it with guns. We will leave that to Sealand. The governments of the Netherlands, Austria and Germany petitioned the British government for Achenbach's release, but the United Kingdom disavowed his imprisonment citing the 1968 court decision stating that Sealand was its own nation. Germany then sent a diplomat from its London embassy to Sealand to negotiate for Achenbach's release. Still funny. <laughs> Roy Bates relented after several weeks of negotiations and subsequently claimed that the diplomat's visit constituted a de facto recognition of Sealand by Germany. So he, he's somehow turned this to his advantage and is like, well, Germany says we're legit because they sent an ambassador. <laughs> I'm just wondering what happened to the son. Oh, they picked him up in, in Holland because he was the one who slid down the rope from the helicopter. Oh, okay. Did he at least get, like, therapy or something? Who needs therapy when you can slide down a helicopter rope and fire a shotgun and retake an entire nation? Probably the same guy who slid down the rope and tried to take over his dad's entire nation. You know, it's the small things in life. Following Achenbach's release and repatriation, he established a government in exile, which is known as the Sealand Rebel Government or the Sealandic Rebel Government in Germany. Ah, yes. The Sealandic Rebel Government in Germany. Achenbach's appointed successor... Johann Sieger continues to claim via his website that he is Sealand's legitimate ruling authority. How so? He lost. This is over a small platform as well. I don't, I don't understand why. I told you, the crazy Amy, people. A long, I told you a long time ago, Amy, we're not trying to understand people. We're just trying to survive <laughs> the world. In 1982, 
Roy was approached by a group of Argentinians during the Falklands War. Walk away from them slowly. We already <laughs> had this. It happened before. Just, just go home, child. The Argentinians wanted to buy Sealand from Roy and set up a camp right on Britain's doorstep. Roy declined the offer. Good boy. In 1997, the Bates family revoked all Sealand passports, including those that they themselves had issued over the previous 22 years. There were thought to have been around 150,000 in circulation. Are they unsure? Well, people could just apply and get them. So, What, you don't have to prove that your great-grandma was from Sealand? No, they, they would just give them out. So... Oh, willy-nilly like that? <laughs> They, they were their own micronation. They didn't give a fuck. <laughs> wow. Micronations are weird. Havenco, a data hosting services company, was started on Sealand in 2000. Yeah. The Bates leased their country exclusively to Havenco Limited, which offered unparalleled security and independence to users who wished to take advantage of its internet collocation services. During this period, no smoking or drinking were allowed in the Principality, and no one was allowed more than three five-minute showers per week in the interest of conserving fresh water. Much of which okay, was collected from I'm, the rain. I'm, I'm sorry, but I really hope no one was on their period ever on this island then. Because I think I, other than the royal family, it's probably just crazy dudes. Because I can tell you that not showering during your period is terrible. Yeah, I think this is just crazy cis dudes, personally. I, I don't see anyone falling outside the crazy cis white dude category going to Sealand. Maybe a few wives who were taken along because they had to go, but mostly, mostly cis dudes is what I'm thinking. Okay, so they didn't even care for the needs of women and... and... Like people yeah. with with vaginas and stuff, and and they were probably happy with the lack of showering because it saved them time. Because guys like to be stinky. Not all of us. No, but enough that that statement's quite true. Yeah. During this period, the population of Ceylon rarely exceeded five people, and in the sake of security, visitors were unwelcome. Until 2001, Haven Co. was run by a man named Ryan Lackey, who said, It's been good for us because a lot of people are afraid of the very draconian laws being passed in the US, and they want to get out in advance of those. Haven Co. claimed it would destroy a customer's server if it ever was forced to hand over a customer's data to the authorities. So, quite dodgy. I trust them completely. <laughs> Roy and the rest of the Sealand royal family left the micronation in 2005 due to declining health of Roy and his wife. They returned to the British mainland. On the afternoon of the 23rd of June 2006, the top platform of the Rough Towers caught fire due to an electrical fault. A Royal Air Force rescue helicopter transferred one person to Ipswich Hospital directly from the tower. The Harwich lifeboat stood by Rough Towers until a local fire tug extinguished the fire. However, all damage was repaired by November 2006. I bet once you're like your own micronation, then getting permits is way easier. Yeah, 
Although they got saved by Britain there, who, with all the shit Sealand has caused, because have easily turned around and went, nah, you should have your own fire service. You know, they didn't have to go out there. So it's a good thing they did. Thank you, Britain. You've done like one good thing in history. In January 2007, the website The Pirate Bay attempted to purchase Sealand after harsher copyright measures in Sweden forced them to look for a base of operations elsewhere. Oh, I remember the Pirate Bay. Yeah, it's still around. Yeah, but I don't use the, the service anymore, so I just no. remember it. No, and and you should never use the service because illegally downloading movies is wrong. And no one yes, do it's it. it's very bad. We we do not recommend it whatsoever. No. no stealing content. No, you can steal this one though. We're on YouTube. You can rip our our episodes, share them. It will get us more hits. We don't mind. Is it really stealing if we want people to share the episodes? Well, if they if they rip it off YouTube, it's technically stealing. Share our content. You're adorable, <laughs> like us. Between 2007 and 2010, Sealand was offered for sale through the Spanish estate company Inmo Naraja at an asking price of 750 million euros. Holy crap. Yeah. (laughs) So if you have a spare 750 million euros, which is about 600 million pounds or 900 million dollars, you can purchase Sealand. Holy crap. I don't think anyone's going to go for that offer. (laughs) I don't know. Someone offered it. On the 9th of October 2012, King Roy Bates died at the age of 91. Holy crap. Yeah. This guy made it to 91. What a life. He had been suffering from Alzheimer's for several years prior to this. What a life he could not remember. He was succeeded as King of Sealand by his son, Michael. Roy's wife, Joan Bates, died in an Essex nursing home at the age of 86 on the 10th of March 2016, four years later. Sealand's motto is E Mare Liberatas, from the sea, freedom. It would be kind of ironic if it would be from the fire, doom. It appears on Sealandic items such as stamps, passports and coins and is the title of the Sealandic anthem. The anthem itself was composed by Londoner Basil Semenenkov. Being an instrumental anthem, it does not have any lyrics. You're, you're safe, Addy. You don't have to sing. I, I have to hum now. I wonder how, the net, how Netflix is on Sealand. Well, I assume they have Wi-Fi. Well, if they've got data companies using them and the Pirate Bay wanted them, their internet's got to be pretty damn good. Yeah, probably. Um... I've got a bit here about the different sporting teams that Sealand has. Are you interested in that? They have like five people living on it. <laughs> what okay. can they play? The max they can play is hockey. <laughs> okay, I'm guessing I'm going to go into this then. Sealand is not recognised by any major international sporting body and its population is insignificant to maintain a team composed entirely of Sealanders in any team sport. Surprise! However, However. Sealand claims to have official national athletes, including non-Sealanders. These athletes take part in various sports, such as curling, mini-golf, football, fencing, ultimate and table football, 
as well as athletics. I'm sorry, table football? You mean foosball? Yep. That's that's an official sport. Yep. Sealand, you've learned Sealand is a nation. You can accept that table football is a sport. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, that's weirder. Because you can make a nation out of one person. However, I can never accept that excessive hand gestures on a rod could be a sport because that could be every masturbator ever. There are probably some circles where that is a sport as well. I do not want to watch that competition. (laughs) The Sealand National Football Association is an associate member of the Nouvelle Federation Board, a football-sanctioning body for non-recognized states and nations not members of FIFA. At least they're not members of FIFA. It administers the Sealand National Football Team. In 2004, the national team played its first international game against Aland Island's national football team, which they drew 2-2. Sealand claims that its first official athlete was Darren Blackburn of Oakville, Ontario in Canada, who was appointed in 2003. Blackburn has represented Sealand at a number of local sporting events, including marathons and off-trail races. In 2004, Mountaineer Salander Oviat carried the Sealandic flag to the top of Muzgtag Atta. Muzgad Akta? Maybe. <laughs> I think we all know my pronunciations are not the best. In 2007, Michael Martel represented the Principality of Sealand in the World Cup of Kung Fu, held in Quebec City in Canada, bearing the designation of Athleta Principalis Bellatronius, or Principal Martial Arts Athlete and Champion. He won two silver medals, becoming the first ever Sealand athlete to appear on a world championship podium. In 2008, Sealand hosted a skateboarding event with Church and East sponsored by Red Bull. Uh, they just have to make sure that no one falls overboard. Well, to be fair, looking at Sealand, it would be cool if you put a little some skateboard ramps on there. I, I would like it uh, to be sponsored by, you know, like uh, Red Bull has the Flugtag. Mm. I would oh. love that to be like that. Oh my god, Addy, I have found pictures of the Red Bull event on Sealand. Awesome. <laughs> it It is how shitty people would think it is, guys, skateboarding on really bad ramps on a sea platform. Wow, that looks like something me and my dad once built in our backyard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's <laughs> for for an event sponsored by Red Bull, they really did spare the expense. <laughs> it's like I think they built it out of used cans. <laughs> Red Bull gives you wings and a concussion. So if if anyone wants to see these Go go on Google and, and search Sealand skateboarding. It's just terrible. I really hope no one got hurt. It, it looks like or, they or probably I, I, did. I, I, I oddly <laughs> hope someone can, did get hurt because I want to know their hospital system. Do you think Sealand has insurance? Oh, guaranteed not. <laughs> How do you go to the doctor there? By going to England. <laughs> you swim to England and hope you don't drown on the way. So Sealand also has 
a roller derby team composed of skaters from the South Wales area. And in 2013, the mountaineer Kenton Cool placed the Sealand flag at the summit of Mount Everest. That boring-ass NHL-coloured flag? Yep. Oh, joy. Sealand remains mostly unoccupied. However, you, everyone listening, can purchase Sealand titles online at their official website, which include titles such as Lord, Lady, Baron, Baroness, Count, Countess, Duke, Duchess, or you can even become a member of the Knights of the Sovereign Military Order of Sealand. Huzzah! And most excitingly of all, something that I am actually going to do. You're going to move there? No, but you can own a piece of Sealand. For the bargain price of 19.99, you can own a foot square piece of the Sealand territory. You can get a certificate to display your ownership of Sealand, a welcome letter, a history of Sealand booklet, information about Sealand, and a Sealand World Fact Book submission. And it comes with official government photographs. And I am totally going to buy a piece of Sealand because it's fucking ridiculous. Yes, that'll show them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not trying to show anyone. I'm doing it for shits and giggles. That, that's going to work. That's definitely going to work. I think you should buy a piece of Sealand as well, Addy. I thought I can buy a lordship. Yeah, do it. Don't you think? Don't you think I can be a great lord? Well, if you want to be a lord, that'll only cost you thirty quid. I don't know how what what the title of lord entails. Well, based on their pricing structure, there is definitely a hierarchy because lord, lady, baron, and baroness. Are thirty pounds? Uh huh. Count and countess is two hundred pounds. Oh wow! And duke and duchess is five hundred pounds. Uh, that's that's a steep price increase there. Yeah, but you then become a registered deed of individual noble birth, which is kind of cool. And I guess you can then legally put on things that you are a lord. Or a lady, or a count, or a countess, and you can go and use those titles. The listeners, you should go check out the website. They've got some lovely commemorative stamps and 50th anniversary coins. You can get the Sealand flag, some T-shirts with "I Heart Sealand," and it's got the the little Sealand platform inside the heart. It's very um, well designed. <laughs> so yeah, that's um, that's Sealand. Sealand. <laughs> yeah, um, bet you didn't know that existed. <laughs> uh, some things are better left for the imagination, I guess. <laughs> so, Addy, if people like yes. this and want to find you online, where can they do that? A, why would they like this? I'm weird. Um, they can find me here, annoying you, like every other other week. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at a D underscore Anhang or on Instagram on the same name. And they can find me on Smorgasbord, probably making fun of Dave and Pete at some point, which were also on Eccentric Earth. 
Well, if people enjoyed the episode, you can find Eccentric Earth online as well. We're on Twitter at eccentric underscore earth, as well as Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash eccentric earth. And you can find our Instagram account at eccentric earth. If you want to write in with any suggestions for future episodes or to give us any kind of feedback or comments, our email address is eccentricearth at outlook.com. Our show is available on all major podcast providers as well as YouTube, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, Addy. Yeah, I had a great time learning about this (laughs) bonkers place. Just absolutely fuck yeah it it was pretty weird hopefully we'll get you on again soon and we can find something even crazier for you i uh, i i think you will succeed (laughs) well thank you for joining me and thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time bye bye